everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bayou Breakdown. Uh, this time around, I have my good friend Jim Dyson. Say hi, Jim. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Jim is from up in the Capital City area, and uh, we played... I think we actually met for the first time at Nathan's Scramble, didn't we? In the flesh, yes. Um, yeah. I think we had played on Vassal a time or two before. We had. We had. But yeah, it was one of Nathan's Scrambles, which was a fantastic event. Oh, yeah. No, I had a blast. It was that first uh, coming back from COVID, like we had talked about on the episode with him. Like, it was just so nice to get to play games in person again and get to meet mm-hmm. people. Um, his buddy, John Hathcock, I met at Nova years ago, and I hadn't, like, we talk all the time, but I hadn't got a chance to, like, hang out with him again. So it was so cool to get to, like, see him and hang out with him again. And I think it really, like, rekindled my enjoyment of the game because, like, as much as I like playing on Vassal, I was getting kind of tired of it like it's a completely different experience when you're actually there with physical models in the same space oh yeah for sure and you're on um the other coast podcast let's go ahead and plug that you are a Mm -hmm. uh you're a co-host i know you're not on like every episode i think but you're on a good majority of them correct Uh, i would say that i'm actually on fewer than the majority at this point i really need to give props to jeff and colgan they've been putting in a lot of the work on the podcast since I moved. We did start it back when I was still in LA and the goal there and the goal still is to let the West Coast have a bit of a voice in the ongoing Malifaux discourse. But, and we can touch on this a little bit later, uh, I moved back to Maryland and there's a three hour time delay (laughs) between California and Maryland. So when folks are able to do recordings on the West Coast, I'm getting ready to turn into a pumpkin on the East Coast. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I definitely understand that. I do want to get one or the two of them possibly on the podcast. So if you guys are listening, hit me up Um, because I do think there needs to be more West Coast representation um, just on the airwaves and in in the discussions and things like that. Because America is so huge that like all our metas are completely separated. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like the the sort of like upper Midwest is covered by the Schemes and Stone guys and now the um, Bad Foe Haku guys. So they kind of have a representation. Texas doesn't have a podcast right now, but they have a lot of like voice, you know, like Mm -hmm. they sort of have a lot of presence. And then, like most most of the Northeast is is a and well the the East Coast is like broken up into different metas that are pretty active. So like we just don't hear from the West Coast all that much. And I know you guys have to have people playing out there, Other, otherwise they wouldn't have a podcast at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I will say I think that player density is still growing. I haven't you know I haven't kept tabs on all of that. And that's not to say you know that's just the the states podcasts. I know there's a couple there's at least one Spanish podcast out there, Honeypot. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, I think it's fair to say that the majority of the podcasts that I I mean for me that I listen to definitely have a bias on East East Coast or Midwest meta views. And those are just one view, right? Well, I know back in the day, back in second edition, um, Chrissy used to be the big voice for the West Coast. And mm-hmm. I think she has stepped out of the, the hobby pretty much entirely at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely would be great. I'm also trying to like reach across the pond. And uh, like you said, three hours is hard. Eight hours is, is even more difficult. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when Jamie gets off his butt and uh, finds a time for us to record, that would be that'd be awesome. Because I love chatting with Jamie. He's an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I got you on here, so let's uh, let's jump into this and and not meander too much. So oh, we'll uh, meander, don't worry. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. We <laughs> always do. Um, so, what is it that keeps you playing miniature games? It's a question I asked everybody so far. I act like mm-hmm. I have a ton of episodes already. But um, yeah, so what is it that why miniature games and why Malifaux in particular? So I'm going to <clears throat> preface this with a lot of the questions you're going to ask. I'm going to respond with an it depends <laughs> as an understood a because i think context is super relevant and important when it comes to something that is subjective like miniature games or hobbies what one person's hobby is another person's hobby isn't that doesn't make sense um <laughs> but what keeps me coming to miniature games is that it scratches several important itches that i have i have a need for social interaction and miniature games are an inherently social game because it involves two players and you are working through the rules of the game towards a victory condition. It's not a group of people against a rule like um, Sentinels of the Multiverse game mm-hmm. or a solo game like Solitaire. It's got the creative outlet aspect in the hobby aspect. There's a growing part of it for me where I need to I, I, I need to get motivated to paint a crew and I want to play with painted crews. And if I get the bug for the mechanic of a crew, I will suddenly come up with a paint scheme for it. And that kind of motivates me to activate the hobby side of things. And then lastly, it's for Malifaux specifically, I have tried other games. I grew up playing Magic the Gathering and loved it. I still play Arena. I don't have all my old cards because I was getting to the point where it was too expensive to maintain. And that's happened to a couple of hobbies. I have spent probably a car's worth of money on Warhammer. But the addition changes and frankly, the inability to what I felt um, make good investments that were long lasting in the hobby. For example, um, war gear options, right? In Malifaux, when you hire a model, it comes with it's, your upgrades are, are cards, they're aesthetic or rules based. In Warhammer, at least in my community, there was a huge emphasis on WYSIWYG. And, you know, if in edition, sixth edition, grav cannons were the hotness, and then seventh rolls around, grav cannons become useless, well, there's $100 on grav cannon units that I purchased that are now not good. And I didn't take the time to ma- magnetize, and now I'm like, oh, now I have to keep buying more stuff. And it kind of, Malifaux to me has been a long-term lasting investment that I felt that it was a good investment because I've gotten absolutely my money's worth of value out of it. Does that all make sense? No, absolutely. That's 100%. I was going to say, as a recovering um, Magic the Gathering addict, uh, I I fully understand that. Um, I sold all of my cards except for two Legacy decks um, about, what, 10 years ago? And I bought a car. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, I had, I had collection that stemmed back from uh, the beginning, from like 94, 95. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I bought a car, like not bought, put the down payment on a car, bought a car. Brand Um, good. I believe it. And I still have enough in my legacy decks, probably buy a cheap car. Like those Mm -hmm. two legacy decks, because they're, they're full of dual lands there. They have alpha dual lands, um, you know, full sets. And one of them is a a white, blue, green. So Mm -hmm. it has all like, you know. It, it absolutely easiest thing at the end of the day, right? Yes, these are pieces of cardboard, and we've ascribed a certain value to them because, on one hand, mechanically they're really good in the game. On the other hand, 
they're really rare because of you know the amount of printing and it's just like you could buy a car with a stack of cardboard yeah bananas we had a guy um so when we were doing uh tournaments in greenville north carolina um and uh james dater was running the store he was telling us about how this guy came in and uh he was talking to them while they were playing malifaux and he's like yeah i was an artist and I used to, uh, I did some of the original art for Magic the Gathering, and they didn't have a lot of money, so they paid us with a sheet, an uncut sheet of the cards. And I was like, they, they you know, he was telling us, that, and they were like, you did what? And he, he, the guy was like, yeah, they paid us with an uncut sheet of the cards, so I've still got it, at, you know, in, in my garage or whatever. And James was like, dude, do you know what you have? Do you understand how much that's worth now? And the guy was like, nah, I mean, you know, sure. Um, and apparently he left. And he and a couple months later, they were back, you know, playing again, having another tournament. And dude came in and was like, told, told James, like, yeah, so um, I bought a house. Thank you. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine just, like, sitting on, um, and you hear stories about that, like, people with comic books, too, right? Like, mm -hmm. they're sitting on these comic book collections, and then, like, oh, yeah, so I found out this is worth $20,000. Big shock. Mm -hmm. You know, I was super shocked. Um, but it's funny how much value we put in things that like nobody else would put value into right like my mom mm -hmm. never understood that how magic cards could be worth any value but like my mm -hmm. granddad collected baseball cards right like right and i don't think that you know there's anything inherently wrong with ascribing value to these items because they are it's part of hobby collecting is part of hobby it is a hobby in and of itself and you know we of course we're going to ascribe value to things that bring value to our lives right I, I think any listener right now probably has things that they put a whole lot of value into that someone else would be like that's a bleh. and that's part of the magic of it right not not the magic the gathering but like the magic of hobby and the restorative properties of hobby are that it it bring it brings us the happy it, yeah. make, it makes the dopamine. Is it dopamine or serotonin? Whichever one is the dopamine happy chemical. Dopamine is the one that's like the, the, the gets you go. Serotonin does too, but dopamine mm -hmm. is the one that uh, chocolate and such releases. Like, and, mm -hmm. and, um, Serotonin, I think, is like a long-term thing. Gotcha. Um, but it, yeah, like, so it's... Because like, I can definitely... Like, I've got some old comics too. And like, I've got some that are worth money. But there's some that I just like picking up again and reading and like reading mm -hmm. them brings me back to that point. Like, you know, um, seeing old magic cards like brings me back to like, oh, you know, 17 year old me. And if you mm -hmm. would ask 17 year old me uh, said or said to 17 year old me, hey, your magic cards are going to be worth thousands of dollars 20 years from now, I'd have been like, there's no way magic lasts that long. Come on. Like, right. No, I. I remember being in elementary school. My neighbor, Ryan, and I, we both had magic cards. I was a few years older than him, but he got them first. So we were kind of, it was like a bonding thing. Mm -hmm. And I still remember the like fifth edition magic. I think it was when we got into it, whatever the fifth core is, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I still remember the art for land leeches oh, of yeah. all things. Because I was like, this looks like a giant pill bug or a tongue or something. <laughs> and... We wouldn't play the game the way it's supposed to be played. We were, I'm sure I had access to, to 
dual lands. Like I remember the the red blue dual island mountain. I forget volcanic what it's called. Island. Yeah, I had I had a full playset of volcanic islands, and I was just flinging those all over the place because to me they were just cards. Now I'm thinking back on it, I'm like those are like you know what thirty dollars a pop or something. Uh, fifth edition dual lands. Yeah. Not Nah, bud. Like I don't want to know. I don't want. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want. Alpha know. beta ones are like five, six hundred now. I believe. Ugh. Like they're insane. They're insane. But like, but you, yeah, I've come. I've accepted it. You know, it's right. you know, you, no one has a crystal ball about anything. Mm-hmm. And like right now, I've I've got my second edition Malifaux stuff. I've got some forty k stuff, but like I don't have a whole lot of collectibles at the moment, and I'm not not getting all hung up about it. But. Yeah, my thing with with miniature games has been interesting because even though like I held on to comics, I've held on to magic cards with miniature games, I will often paint stuff up, play it for quite a while. And mm-hmm. then like it'll sit on the shelf because I, I have maybe I have some form of adult ADHD. I don't know, but everything is sparkly and, and shiny. So I'll get something new and I'll look over and I'll see those things have been sitting on the shelf for a while. And I'm like, that's not where they need to be. So I'll get rid mm-hmm. of them. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's to pay for other aspects of the hobby because like, you mm-hmm. know, the irony of, of growing up is that you make more money and have less free time money, you know, like, right. like that money is earmarked for things. So like, sometimes I'll, I'll sell them to buy back to buy more for the hobby. But a lot mm-hmm. of times it, for me, it's just like, I hate seeing these models sitting on the shelf when somebody else could be playing them. Absolutely. I, I've done that. I had a nearly full company of Ultramarines back right before I got out of 40k proper. Like I had gone all in on on these guys. I painted them up. I based them my first completely painted based army. And I was like, you know, I, I just don't play this game anymore. Someone should have this who's going to enjoy them. I found somebody. They got them. And I got uh, the I got some running money and the entire set of Red Dragon in at the time. Nice. And you know, that's a fun game. Oh my gosh, yes. That's that's so, a good party game. It is. It is. All right. So um, you're kind of like me. You've bounced around from several mm-hmm. factions. I don't know if you've had quite the the, the faction chaos that I have. Um, I'm buying Arcanist mm-hmm. for the second time. Okay. Because <laughs> I sold them and now I'm buying the back. Mm-hmm. Um. But what is your favorite faction in Malifaux? Uh, what's today again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, truth be told, it is very difficult for me to have a favorite faction, but I would say that I have a particular fondness for Bayou. The reason okay. I have a particular fondness for Bayou is that they have an element of absurdity to them that the other factions don't have that I just really appreciate. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I agree. I am definitely, I think Bayou is my favorite and I always end up like gravitating back towards them. Um, mm-hmm. Which is weird because I don't think in general, they're the most powerful faction. Um, I don't agree. Think, yeah. I, but they're fun. There's never mm-hmm. been uh, like, even even the stuff that's like meh in 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 like power level or competitive level, I still enjoy. Like I played Brewmaster um, back in GG Zero and actually did pretty good with him, um, mm-hmm. and just loved it. Like it was just fun. Was it the best? Absolutely not. <laughs> it was no Shin Long, right? Right. Um, well, very few things were. I no. I I agree. I, I mean. 
I will say I've had the most demoralizing losses of my Malifaux career with Bayou um, recently, but that's because I just have not clicked with Sommer 2 yet. Um, ah. And uh, the Infiltrator special rule is dumb. It is. It is. That's fair. Um, <laughs> so Sommer 2, mm-hmm. I guess we could, we'll, we'll, we'll meander for a second. Um, Because I have been, Summer 2 is a little pet project of mine. I've been playing him a lot recently. Um, I don't think it's his game balance. Right. I concur. I think he's good. I think he's great. Um, I think he still has a lot of the same problems that Summer 1 has in that Mm -hmm. there are some very specific keyword um, struggles that he has. Um, you know, he still blasts and, and, uh, that kind of thing, you know, still hurts. He doesn't get around hazardous at all. Like nothing in his crew is really good at getting around severe or hazardous or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, he struggles with anything that like breaks apart the keyword. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sommer two is 14 wounds, hard to wound stat six. That's, that's really all that's he's it. got. And yeah. arguably you could say he's shielded two with lots of stones every a free stone every turn sure sure if you can set up getting those uh markers down to remove are you would think oh of course you can but it's not guaranteed if anything i think the thing that tips and i apologize for the fun pun but if anything tips the hat it's the white rabbit company <laughs> It's the White Rabbit Company. Um, They are so, they are so good. And I've played a couple games with Sommer 1, which I had pretty much thrown out with the GG2 bathwater. And I think the White Rabbit changes the math on Sommer 1 as well. Um, You drop a smuggler in and you put a hat on Georgian Olaf. The the smuggler walks and he pulls Georgian Olaf along with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you have better positioning all of a sudden and you've got placing, which, you know, outside of summoning, the crew just doesn't have. Um, and it feels pretty good. Like, once again, I still think that there's just like there's not a strategy that I look at and go summer is the one for this. Right. And that that's where I am right now is it just I could do summer or I could do Ulix too. I could do yeah. zip either flavor. Um, I could do Zoraida. Uh, I could do Ma. Honestly, at this point, it's hard. It is hard to look at a problem in Malifaux and not think that Ophelia 1 or 2 could fit solidly as, as a key into that problem. Oh, uh, sure. I, I mean, that I, I just didn't bring her up because I honestly don't enjoy playing Ophelia's keyword. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not. It's a little two point and click for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's some fun games like... And I think that there are things that her crew answers that nobody else in Bayou answers really well. Fair. So um, I like I like her I like her a lot for that. But in general, mm-hmm. like I also struggle with Trixie played in the traditional ways. I I, I have you know me. I have mm-hmm. insane mad scientist thoughts, and and I like to play them as obliquely as possible. But, like, if you sat me down with, like, you know, a standard quote-unquote ma list, I would struggle with it. And and that's interesting to me from only because I I thrive with that kind of ma list. I really enjoy running two to three Bushwhackers, ma, Trixie, probably Bryn. And then it depends on the rest of it, but I've gone just double Soulstone Miners, triple Bushwhacker. And that's been my list. Now, of course, that's for, like... 
the pools where I take that are pools where I want to spread out and it gets into, I have, and this is another tangent. Sorry, listeners. Um, <laughs> but like there are er lists in my head that are like keyword agnostic and that fits one of those er lists for me. And, and what I mean by er list is like, it's a list that is just like, if you do like a, a series of boxes, um, I'll take that list. So that list, for example, is you take your master, a supporty henchman or two, and then five of your six stone minions who are all pretty self-sufficient. So that's an example of an er list. Another one is the um, elite beater with the two eight stone minion list. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this with double soulstone cash cats, Marcus, you have double grave spirits, touch Kentoroi McMorning. You have double executioner bashel. Um, there, so there's like, there are lists that are like the same thing. Just, you just palette swap them. Mm-hmm. And for me, the kind of list where I have a super solo master, which to me, ma one is, and then minions who kind of just do their own thing fits my play style. I That's think. fair. I, I have a deep and abiding love for test subjects. And despite mm-hmm. the fact that every time I come up with a cute trick for them, weird shuts me down and I don't think they do it on purpose. I think that they just fix things that need fixing. And the test subjects were the way I was exploiting that thing. Because I used to throw them um, mm-hmm. with Lenny. I used to, to put bombs on them with sparks, throw them in with Lenny, and then Sommer would blow them up and they don't blow up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they fixed that with Sommer. And then like I was you know, um, using them. I had a, a stupid Alphonse Mollist that was just using them for the best in the best ways possible and they mm-hmm. fixed sparks which admittedly admittedly the bombs were stupid i totally understand they were but, but yeah so every time i go to like play test subjects and find a list that i just love because it's just janky as shit um mm-hmm. weird goes around and, and tweaks that a little bit so i'm beginning yeah. to take it personally like <laughs> all i'm gonna say is um uh, how about that uh, Zoraida 2 with triple chest subjects? Just um, uh, push them a number of inches, cycle cards, and give them free charges on your turn. That is cute. I like it. I'm not upset mm-hmm. about it. That's fun. Um, and I will say that, like, and this is my hot take for the episode, guys. Uh, we're starting early here. Uh, <laughs> 30 minutes in is not super early, but um, Sparks is one of the best models in the game. I, I will I will fight anybody who says differently. He is Sparks for Master Fourth Edition. <laughs> no, I want Bryn. I want Bryn as a master, and I want him summoning test subjects. That's all I, I want. That's all I want. I can I can get behind that, but if you don't give me Sparks as a master, you got to give me Mantra Roja as a master. I'll take it to an entire wrestling keyword. Yes, beautiful. beautiful. I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, so. They, now now I'm thinking they could have Mancha could have uh, a, an ability where he throws down four markers to make a ring mm-hmm. and you can't get out of that ring like you can't move out of that ring or move into that ring uh, as long as they're up like you have to destroy them to, to be able to move through the box you mm-hmm. know that would be stupid but it'd be fun. I, yeah no I, I've I've gone on uh, on record on a few of the discords on this you give him a little like bookie 
or um, a little coach, like Beautiful. the coach from uh, Nintendo's Punch Out. Right. Um, his title version is just Bane from Batman with the mask and like the hyped out wear pigness. Um, you give him Swinekirsting keyword. I'm um, loving this. I'm loving this. Keep going. Right. Um, you're going to have the Sky Pirates go off, so you're not going to have the um, Skeeters or Zip or Earl with this version. Right. Um, and instead of having pianos, you're going to get um, improvised weapons. Like folding chairs and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and so you start the game by placing your, your ring and improvised weapons around the board, and then you're just trying to get this. Um, so that's the idea I have for it. It, you know, and this gets into something we'll touch on later, I think. And that's fair. I'm, so I'm I'll, just, I'll come back. I'm to so it. in love with this. I'm so in love with this, but okay. So we got way off topic. I have a feeling this is going to happen a lot. This, this. Yes. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite keyword? So we know, we know oh, what yeah. your favorite faction was. What is your favorite keyword? So my and favorite it keyword has to be in the same, does not have to be <laughs> in the same faction. And it is not. Uh, my favorite keyword is last blossom period. Full Fantastic. Stop. And the reason for that is it's a toss up between last blossom and obliteration. But if I could only play one keyword for the rest of time, I would want to play last blossom because when I play last blossom, it feels comfortable. I don't feel like I need to check any cards. I don't feel like I have to go, Oh, what's this effect again? Like, I feel like I've internalized enough of it. And I have never felt that I didn't have access to the tools, either in hiring or in gameplay, with either title ver- either version of Misaki. Interesting. Um, it's just such a good package. And my list is flexible, but I take a lot of the same models in most games, and they do so many different things based on title, based on scenario. It just feels so... It just feels so, like, right. My and frustration... My frustration with Last Bottom Blossom, because I've looked at them, like, you know, the sculpts are fantastic. Um, In second edition, I played Katanaka Crime Bosses constantly. I -hmm. love them. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they are the frustration that I have in that keyword, is I want pressure to be good. It's such an interesting ability, and it's just not good. It's still not good. Yeah, I mean... Not to be too much of a, a downer, but I don't typically take crime bosses. I don't see anymore. a reason why you would. Yeah. No, it's for me, it's almost entirely Ototo, Minako, Jin, and then Torakage to taste. Gotcha. I was just thinking, why take a crime boss when Lone Swordsman is amazing? And Dawn Serpent's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got so many. Do you have a lot of really good versatiles in Ten Thunders? I think they should have been. I mean, I think they're tried to be a control piece, but they don't have. They just don't have the tools that they need to be a true control piece. Mm-hmm. And they kind of hybridize. They kind of do the same thing that like McTavish does, where he's like, he wants to be a range piece. He wants to be a melee piece. They want to be a control piece. They want to be a melee piece. They they mm-hmm. don't fit into either at that point cost. Right, and in a game of in in any war game, yes, generalists are good, but you tend to see that specialists are just taken in mass for their specialty. And Mm -hmm. in a game like Malifaux, where you can list tailor to the pool, it's going to be easier to just say, "Let's just take the super fast scheme runner and the super punchy beaters 
and let the beaters punch the schemers and the schemers run from their beaters and win, you mm-hmm. know, that way. Absolutely. Um, all right. So moving on to the fourth question, uh, we've talked about how you co-host on the other, other coast podcast. Um, mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing about being a content creator? I think the bit best thing about being a content creator is the f- it, it is an opportunity for me to take the enthusiasm I have for the game and share it with like-minded individuals. So I think about Malifaux an awful lot, possibly more than is healthy. Um, That's fair. But, you know, it, it's it's a thing that I get, I'm passionate about. I really enjoy this. I tend, I try to enjoy my hobbies to a great degree because that's like the point in my mind. And I don't know, I have not normally, I don't, bleh, words. I don't spend an awful lot of time at my job or at, you know, other, in other places of my life around people who are into Malifaux. That's so fair. I have a, I have this built up like, oh my gosh, I have all these thoughts and things I want to talk about and think about and share with people. And like, I've got my Thursday night group of regular game nights over at Titan Games and Hobbies. Shout out to Titan Games and Hobbies. And, you know, that's great. But there's a whole lot bubbling there. And having an opportunity to discuss it with Jeff and Colgan or, you know, whoever we have on at the time um, is just... It, it gives that outlet, which is really nice for me. That's kind of selfish when I say it out loud, but it is my favorite part is to talk about the game. Um, I can understand that. I'm, I think, I think that's a lot of it for me too. I definitely enjoy, and I'm in like all the discords and I'm in like all, you know, Facebook groups mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a completely different thing when you're having an actual in person is not the word, but like a real com- back and forth conversation mm-hmm. um, that you lose a lot of that, like excitement in text form. Text is a terrible form of communication. Um, it th- there, I mean, you know, we're on a voice call, so we get vocal intonations and we get the pauses and the tonal changes, but like on text, unless you like put in like emojis or certain visual cues, you can read someone saying something is, you know, X is OP as, mm-hmm. oh, they legitimately f- have issue with this model versus, oh, they're being sarcastic and do not yeah. think, in fact, that uh, investigators are broken. Well, I mean, like, if you remember, um, Alex Schmidt used to be a big 2E player um, down mm-hmm. in our area and online, on podcast even, and especially in the forums and on text, he came across as very like opinionated is one way to put it, but just like sort of like a jerk, like Mm. because he just had opinions, he stated his opinions, he stated his opinions as fact. And to be fair, he was really good at the game. So a lot of his opinions were probably as close to facts as you get in the game, Mm -hmm. but it didn't come across super great, you know, like Mm -hmm. in, but knowing him in person, he was one of the best like dudes out there and he would sit with you. Like he's one of the dudes like that would just crush you and then proceed to go. Okay, let's go back and look at this. Here's the point where you messed up. Let's try it because in his mind, stomping people wasn't important. Having good opponents was important mm-hmm. and he would rather build you up than like, have you just walk away from the game miserable. Um, and he was like, you didn't get that intonation unless you met him, unless you played him mm-hmm. in person. Right. No, I've 
I have not had the privilege of playing him in Malifaux. I did encounter him a few times at some of the events Travis held Mm -hmm. back in uh, second edition in Frederick. Um, And that was the impression I got was that he was just very direct, uh, very upfront. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, that's, there is a value to that in your gaming community. If that's what your gaming community is on board with. Right. And Travis was kind of the same way, right? Like Mm -hmm. Travis kind of could come across as like, Ooh, it's a little prickly. And then when you met him in person, it was like, nah, this dude's fine. Like he's just having fun. So it's hard sometimes. I think when, um, when you see that and you're like, man, these, you know, this is not the way I think. And it's stated so firmly and like, you know, the, the, there's a lot of like rules arguments sometimes that pop up and you're just like, mm-hmm. okay, we need to, we need to back away from this. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a thing. I think when doing podcasts that I really, I genuinely enjoy is having people on talking with them and, and specifically like in the context of this podcast, making it a conversation, mm-hmm. like, you know, just kind of a, you know, this is a casual thing. We don't really have an agenda. We're just, talking about something that we absolutely love like you know it's a game we're both into um so what are what are the challenges do you think of being a content creator uh well there's a couple ways to answer this Uh, and first and foremost is like what kind of content do you want to create you know we've had over the years malifaux has had a, a i would say a small but pretty dedicated group of content creators throughout like from second edition through to third mm-hmm. and there's almost like i want to say about four different kinds of content that podcasts at least have created um you know you have model reviews or keyword reviews you've got tournament uh follow-up and prep uh, you've got um like reactions to errata and faq and releases and then you've got hobby which sometimes is a dedicated form, but it's hard to do that in audio, right? But yeah. all this to say, we now have some YouTube content creators or, or cross-platform content creators. Mm-hmm. Like I've, and then you've got whatever the heck Steam Powered Scoundrel is. Um, love you guys. They're, love you guys if you're listening. Love you guys. Um, but they are a very different. They are a very different brand. They are, and I think it's refreshing and frankly mm-hmm. very much needed in Fun, the community. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to the ship episode um, <laughs> or, or the Port Authority episodes. They, they give me life. Um, but so you, you've got the first question is figuring out your niche. Mm-hmm. And like for me, we wanted or for I'll say for me and then I'll say for the other coast. For me, I started doing written battle reports back in second edition in order to improve my game. Mm-hmm. That has morphed into my YouTube channel. And frankly, I'm not super satisfied with the quality of content on my YouTube channel because it's just, you know, a a raw recording of my games, but I don't make the time to edit them. Um, And that's one of the challenges is making how much time do you want to dedicate to the game? Because Malifo takes a long time. You know, you're looking at around three to four hours a game, depending on if you're an organized play event or just having a casual game. And if you're like doing a recording, like 
recordings can take easily hour and a half for just a, a podcast because mm-hmm. you're going to need to have extra time, cut it down, edit it. You have to have the time to cut it down and edit it. Um, all of you out there looking to start your own podcast or content, please do. I know it sounds scary right now, but it's just understand that it's more than just, you know, uh, or it doesn't have to be really. Yeah. I mean, you know, Cody, Cody has never really done a heavy amount of editing on uh, Swamp mm-hmm. Fiends. I so far like haven't really done, but I'm, I'm a grad student and a single parent. So like I put in the time I put into it. I love what I'm doing here, but I know that like I cannot let it overtake things and mm-hmm. I can't get stressed about it. I think that's the, the point I start getting stressed about the podcast is the point oh, where yeah. I shut it down. Yeah, because, I mean, let's, uh, again, this is a hobby. You're supposed to do things. Uh, hobbies, in my view, are things you do for fun. If it stops being fun, why are you still doing it? Exactly. Um, but that what I think would be my big challenge is, you know, knowing where, what level of commitment I am trying to put into it. And it does change from time to time. Like, there was a period of time where I was like, I really want to do this, this, and this. And now I'm like, I would like to, but I really realistically can only devote this amount of time. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason why most of my AOS stuff um, is sort of put up right now is because I just don't, I, I like Malifaux. I play Malifaux at least once a week. I try mm-hmm. to get, I try to get as much MCP as I can in. Cause I really enjoy that game. And it's mm-hmm. like, I just cannot add a third game into that rotation Mm -hmm. and when you put in like the podcast and i'm doing the every other week streaming for the rpg stuff yeah it's a lot lot. and i love like i said i love doing this podcast um and and i have a lot of fun with it but uh if y'all are looking for higher production quality uh go to third floor wars (laughs) (laughs) yeah great what craig does is amazing i Um, love his interviews with with the rpg uh, writers uh, wonderful shamelessly stealing their ideas um <laughs> no doubt no doubt all right so switching gears a little bit um you are absolutely one of the nicest guys i've ever met in Malifaux. like playing playing you every time has just been um fantastic like even if you're stopping me we have a great time um and that has nothing to do with the fact that like you have a great like speaking voice and everything so it's nice to hear my goal is to get all the people that have a better sounding quality voice than my screechiness does and hoping that it distracts people from the fact that i sound like a crow um but what do you think in your mind what makes a good opponent well first off thank you very much those were very kind things to say and i do appreciate them i take sportsmanship pretty highly and I think that's why I'm, I, I approach the game the way that I do, and why I try to be a good sport and a good opponent for whoever I'm playing. And so I would say that it, what makes a good opponent is someone who is a good sport. And what sportsmanship to me is coming to the game with the understanding that I am only one part of the equation here. The, in a miniatures game, uh, in a, sorry, in a miniatures war game, there are usually two players. Each player is an equal participant in the gaming experience, and each person will come to the table with their expectations for what to get 
out of the game. So to me, it makes the most sense to try and establish what those expectations are with the first time I play somebody and to revisit them at the start of every game. You know, without getting too uh, highfalutin here, a, a game is is just one variant of any other social interaction you have with somebody, right? So there's a social contract. Mm -hmm. And Cody's talked about the social contract on his pod. You know, plenty of folks have touched on this subject in gaming circles. Ask you, talk to your opponent, engage with them, you know, find out what it is they're there for. What are they looking for? Some people want to just play, play the game, flip some cards, have some fun. Some people come and are like, you know what? I'm really trying to get better at the game. I want to play this and talk about mistakes and do take back sees if possible. Some mm -hmm. people say, you know, I do not want take back sees. I don't want to know what you're doing. I just want to play, you know, no, no assistance. And all of those are valid, right? There's so many, there's, there's, and as many players of Malifaux as there are, is the number of valid ways to play Malifaux. With the caveat that if you're going to the game and your objective is to be a be a jerk to your opponent, that is not a valid way to play Malifaux. And, um, and I've said it before. I think our community is pretty good about policing mm -hmm. that sort of thing. About you know, um, policing is not not the right word, but um, self correcting. Like you right. know, we don't want to deal with that, and so. You know, I, I wouldn't say people get drummed out, but they, they get sort of weeded out over time. Like, you know, the the people that, that I'll be flat out. Mm -hmm. If you're playing me and, and I realize that you're cheating, I will simply concede the game. I will say mm -hmm. you get your win. Great. You clearly want it more than I do. I, I will allow you to have that game. Mm -hmm. um, now, that being said, I am also a person that sometimes tilts pretty hard and i don't tilt in a in a style of like flinging the board or anything but i do let the situation get to me sometimes mm -hmm. and that's where i struggle as an opponent to be like okay i need to take a minute let me get my head back on i know we're in a tournament i know we're on a timestamp, but i just need to take a minute to figure this out and i have had games where i have gotten to turn three and said, if I play any more of this game, I'm not going to enjoy the rest of my games for the day. <laughs> like I am not going to be able to get past this game. So I am going to give you the win and I'm going to walk away from the table for a little bit. Um, and I don't know like necessarily how opponents see that. Like sometimes, you know, I think people take a little bit of offense to that, you know, or like they feel like I'm being a bad sport. But I'm also trying, like, not to ruin their enjoyment of the game mm -hmm. by being an awful human being and also not enjoy destroying my love of the game and potentially wrecking my next game or the game. And, and that's, I think, speaks to a level of self-awareness that you have that, you know, you're in touch with, like, you know what? My internal barometer is saying that I need to take a stop here and... Again, this is a game, folks. We play this for fun. If it's at a point where you're not enjoying it, you don't have to keep playing. And if you can see the game, that's not the end of the world. You know, it's okay to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to stop. 
and we're not playing Malifaux for money. That's right. important. This isn't like Yu-Gi-Oh! And this fate of someone's soul going to the Shadow Realms in the balance, <laughs> right? Clearly and, we and have if, a problem. We must fix this with a simple child's card game. Yes! <laughs> um, I was playing Magic one time at a, at a major... Um, I think it was at a Star City tournament. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, there was like $1,000, $1,500 on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were watching the top tables. I had, I think I had gotten like third or whatever. And so the top table still playing. So everybody's kind of like giving them space, but they're definitely watching the, the match. And it's mm-hmm. a very, very intense match. And, and like both players played really, really, really well. And... Um, they finish the game and like the one guy who lost is still sitting there kind of at the table. And my mm-hmm. friend goes, man, that was a great game. And the dude looks at him, throws his cards in the air and goes, you know what? Fuck you. And walks off. And I was just like, never, never. If a mm-hmm. game gets to me like that, like I know I'm quitting that day. Mm-hmm. I, I am taking a break that day from playing but for a while, because when you put money on the line, things just go wire right because at that point it becomes not just a hobby not just a recreational activity now you're putting a value on it that's not that, that you know you're putting a monetary value and i think once you put monetary value onto something it ceases to be that pure and maybe i'm too idealistic on on these concepts but when money becomes involved it's not just about having fun it's it becomes that money eclipses its purpose unless you have a very strong sense of like, I am playing for fun, but the money would be a nice to have, Right. but you get to like, you know, $1,500 isn't chump change. And I wouldn't be begrudge someone for being upset in the moment. Like right after like, Oh, I could have done the thing, but I didn't do the thing. And now I'm, cause there's that, that sense of loss, right? Like mm-hmm. it's possible. It, there's the mindset of, if I if there's a prize money, it's either I'm temporarily embarrassed. I'm a temporary embarrassed. Sorry, I'm a temporarily embarrassed rich person who just has to earn the money that's already mine. Versus someone who is like, I'm going into this. I'm having fun. Oh hey, I happened to win third place and I got a free, you know, root beer whiskey golem. Right. Um, Right. And we're, and I think I've seen, and I don't know how other metas play it, but in, in North Carolina meta, we have always had, um, usually first, second, third place gets store credit. Mm-hmm. And then like we do a raffle for the other prizes. So like mm-hmm. everybody gets a raffle ticket for playing a game. Everybody gets a raffle ticket if you're painted up. And then, you know, if for, so you get six raffle tickets if you play painted and you play and you put them in the cups to, to so mm-hmm. and we go through until we've gotten rid of our prizes. And in an eight to 12 man tournament, usually that means just about everybody walks away with mm-hmm. something. And like, it's not a, you know, it, it's fun. Like it's, you know, it's there's not a sense of like, I was so close to winning 50 bucks like right no i mean there's actually a so story time about this very thing um years ago in the pre malifo days i was at titan games which has been my local game store for years before i moved to california and it's become mine again as soon as i got back they had a, a holiday party and at the holiday party they had a warhammer kill team event 
where each person could bring a 200 point kill team. Now this was way before kill team got rebooted and it was just, Mm -hmm. you know, you get 200 points worth of models and they had to be troops. And, you know, it was basically everyone took their troop squad and you could play and whoever won got the, uh, um, everyone who participated paid like 10 bucks. Whoever won got the full price amount. And I was playing and, in the group, there was myself playing my Tau squad of Pathfinders, or Fire Warriors, excuse me. Um, there was a guy who had an entire Imperial Guard platoon, because that was a single troop's choice. Mm-hmm. So it was like a platoon command, two squads, and like a Sentinel. It was like a, a crazy number of models for a kill team. And a gentleman who was playing Grey Knights, and he had like three dudes. And there was like a few other models here and there. But the, the key players were the Grey Knights, myself, and the Guard. The objective was you got to get a dude to this like this button to push the button, mm-hmm. and if you push the button and rolled a four plus, you you won. Like that was the victory condition. And there's like several buttons, and they had all been pushed, and it was like the last one. And I'm sitting there like, hey guys, if you let me win, I'll give you all ten bucks, and we'll walk away from this with all of us having just put in money to have a good time. And we get our money back, you know, because I felt that would be a fun way to end it right the uh imperial guard player had been a little bit salty all game because his dudes died really easy because they were guard right he just happened to have like three times as many as anyone else because dudes with because they were guard. guns against mm-hmm. uh power armor yeah <laughs> and so i i was running dudes to try and get to the objective and the gray knight player had one guy left and he was like he could shoot the sentinel or he could shoot my dude and I'm like, come on, let's do this thing. Let's 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 be, you know, let's play play this out. And he's like, no, and shot my dude. I lived. I went and rolled a one, oh my and God. that was my last action for the turn. Imperial guard player had five dudes who were all in position to go and roll a four plus, and proceeded to walk away, take the money, even though he complained about losing the whole game. He won it at the end, took the money, and you know, did the thing. And I tell that story. Because I went in not expecting to win, but I was like, ooh, opportunity. Let me try and win and let me, you know, engage in a little bit of social commentary. Someone who had no chance to win was like, uh, rather than let you win and let us all win, it was almost a uh, prisoner's dilemma moment, which is pretty Mm -hmm. fascinating from a gamer psychology perspective. Also interesting that the guard player who had the perceived loss because he was losing models one because he still played to the scenario of you know action economy he just had more pieces to take that one action to to score the point yeah um so that kind of speaks to my point about sportsmanship i would not have been nearly as salty after that game if the guard player hadn't complained every time one of his you know imperial guardsmen died what it's like what they're what they do (laughs) Um, but this is not a a warhammer podcast this is a malifaux podcast um so So back to back to malifaux what are your mm -hmm. current goals for playing malifaux right this like you know Mm -hmm. they could be long-term goals or short-term goals but like what are what are you focusing on right now in your play style i have there there are so in my play style well i am playing i guess in general in playing um i would say i have a community-based one. I have two community-based ones and one personal. Community-based, I want to keep growing my community. We've 
reached a point where we have between three and four ongoing games at our game night. So we have about you know six to eight regular players. Earlier this year, it was four players. I want to see us grow to at least 12, which is ambitious, but I think there's enough interest in the area for it. And I want to do that because I want us to have in-person tournaments uh, in, in my area. We don't have enough people to justify it yet as far as like hosting an event at our at our store for purposes of like hey can we dedicate your table space to our event Mm -hmm. and i want to get to that because i want to get to the point where we can have a whole day of gaming of hobby of chatting with my friends like like we had pre you know back in second edition yeah um no i get that we lost quite a few people mm -hmm. um I mean, our regulars still are still there that have been around for for years, but we lost quite a few people. And then I had to move. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm three hours away from Raleigh now. So Mm -hmm. like uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning, actually, I'm going to be demoing games for new people in the area, in my local area. And I'm really hoping that they can stick with it because it would be nice not to have to drive three hours just to get a regular game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do not blame you. And and for me, it, w- it was a it was a pretty harsh flip because I moved to L.A. around the time that third leaked. Mm-hmm. And when I got to L.A., no one was playing second. Every, the people who were playing were playtesting third. I had no desire to playtest third because I was not, you know, I wanted to play the game I knew, which was second right. edition. And and then you know, COVID happened and the community dried up, but I would say that, so that, that's my uh, community goal. Personal goal is I have had a serious problem with figuring out who I want to really get my reps in with. I know I said earlier that last blossom feels like it, it clicks and there's a part of me that's like, that's obviously what I should be maining. But I want to try everything. And and at this point, I am confident that I have tried each master, if not each title, but at least one, if not both, of the title versions of every master in the game at least once, if not twice. And okay. because I just like on any given day, I will go and be like, I, I, it's like a puzzle to me. You know, this was something about what brought me back to miniature games. This scratches the puzzle solving itch. It's okay. Tony Ironsides. What does she do? All right, let's let's play around with this in our head. Okay, so if I do this and I do this and I build this like generic list for any number of hypothetical pools. Okay, I can do that. All right, let's look at what her title does. Ooh, her title does interesting things, and I will go down that rabbit hole all day. I'll wake up the next morning and I'll be like, oh, you know what? That old one eye. There's some interesting things old one eye can do <laughs> and I will do it again and it will bounce around. And sometimes I'll play and I'll go, you know what? I tried it. I got excited for it. I'm not excited for it anymore. And that's okay. I, I got it out of my system, but that only works in vassal. Yeah. In real life. <clears throat> I currently have, it's almost a joke. Now I have a backpack a Malifaux branded carry case and two large other foam carry cases, all that I bring to every game night because 
of the almost entire Thunders, almost entire Bayou, half of Outcasts, half of Neverborn, half of Arcanists that I own, I never know which one I want to play on a given day. And carrying two to effectively three and a half factions to the store every day. A little, little unwieldy. It's, little. it's unwieldy. <laughs> yeah, no, I And it. I want to cut that down. And part of me wants to cut it down because I want these models to get played with. I want locals, you know, people in my area who are like, I want to try out Yon Lo. And we don't have a Yon Lo box at the store. Well, I've got a second edition Yon Lo box built, beard included. <laughs> you you want to try him out? Hey, you like him enough? Here, let's work out something. Yeah. Um, because if I don't have it in my possession, then I don't feel obligated to try and play it to justify owning it. And if I can cut down to only having, you know, a handful of keywords that I play, especially now with titles, you know, that's the thing that really kicks me in the, that I'm kicking myself over is that, and I shouldn't kick myself over it, but like when I got in, I got in early second, like sec, my first game was 1.5 and then I got in proper in second. And at that time, I didn't really bat an eye about buying the entire Ma Tucket box just for Trixie, because in Bayou, every list ran Trixie, because it was all super friends. Yeah. Then third came out, and we had the keyword system, and I said, oh, I really like keyword system. I want to try and play these keywords. Oh, man, this one keyword doesn't really seem to do, you know, the one, you know, this one strategy. Like, oh man, I'm really digging. Who was I digging in Bayou early? I'm going to say I was really enjoying playing Ulix 1. Because um, I was pl- enjoying playing Ulix 1 because I wasn't trying to do too much pig farming. It was just a little bit of grow and then just yeet a wild, boar, a wild pig every turn. Mm-hmm. More pig every turn. That's fair. Um, and then I was like, but man, I am really struggling on this... Um, uh, whatever the strategy was. I don't remember the name of it now. But I was like, oh, I guess this is my Zoraida pool. I'll bring in Zoraida. Oh, I need to bring in my Killy pool. Here's my zip. And now that titles came out, I'm like, oh man, like if I pick the right keyword, then I just have to carry one box with me, one small box with all my widgets inside. And I'm not going to have to look like I'm a Sherpa. Yeah, that's not appropriate. <laughs> oh, I'm going uh, to do that. I'm going to look like I'm, you know, hiking hiking in the deep woods with all this luggage. Right. <clears throat> like the bellhop and, porter, right? Uh, yeah. I, I would look like the bellhop porter. Give me a little monocle and I'm practically him. That's fair. I um, can see you with a monocle. I could, I could see you with a monocle. I could see most people with a monocle even better because well, it has yeah, a, you would a be lens able to on see one <laughs> um, So I guess this leads into as well, talking about like your community goals. What do you think is the best way for new players to learn the game right now? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it depends. Um, but truly it's going to be down to what that player is looking to get out of the game because there are people who will come to, and and you'll, anyone who's on the discords will see this. There's like three ways people I'm arbitrarily picking three come into a Malifaux thing. It's like one, Hey, I'm looking at Malifaux. It looks really cool. Tell me about it. And how do I get started? It's right. Hey, uh, tell, what's the what are the strongest lists out there right now? Who's OP? And hey, I was I saw this. What is it? Tell me more about it. Um, the first one's like that balanced approach. 
And generally speaking, I'm going to say, hey, pick a keyword you like, and let's do a demo. If it's the middle one, I'm going to uh, be like, okay, how what's your experience in gaming? And find out that and and direct them towards more competitive level things and if it's someone who's like knows nothing about miniature games i'm going to be like okay it's a narrative we're going to talk about the story of malifaux all of these at the end of the day are going to devolve into figuring out what the person looking to get into malifaux is bringing to the table providing enough context for what the game is and selling the the major points to it um, if someone is coming in and they want to play the game first and they don't really care about the lore, that's valid and fine. You know, figure out the mechanics that are important. Emphasize the card stuff. Um, as far as like demos go, I we we've taught. <clears throat> as far as demos go, check out the episode on the other coast about giving people demos for Malifaux, so that I don't have to repeat myself. Nice plug. Right. <laughs> um, but. Um, I do think playing a simplified version of the rules, but not a hand-holding, coddly version of the rules, is the way for someone's first game experience to go. Um, if you play the rules and show how the game plays, you set the expectation for them that, okay, this is the game. It's a, it's um, you're, you're establishing that promise that this is what that game experience is going to be like, so that when they play someone who's not you, someone who is not, you know, trying to get them into the game, they've bought in, they have their 50 stones of preset crew and they're playing them. They're not going to all of a sudden go, oh, you're doing like 50 billion things I didn't know about. And I feel like I got gotcha. And now I'm a hundred dollars, you know, invested in this. Mm -hmm. That's not a great feeling. I um, wish that we had a true starter set again like the second edition starter set. And the second edition models looked good. The rules were okay. But mm -hmm. what they did was they had a section that sort of like step-by-step step went through the mm -hmm. game. So you played a scenario that was like a 15-minute or whatever scenario where you learned about duels. And then right. you it was... played again and you learned about mm -hmm. scoring. Mm-hmm. No, it was a really good way to do it. I've run people through that demo a few times. You know, it, you can do it in a game night. And it doesn't feel like you're doing a... Uh, it feels like it builds up naturally to a proper game. And, it, you know, the final henchman hardcore style game plays very much like a normal game of Malifaux, just with smaller crews. Uh I, I, I keep going back and forth on how to do a proper starter set for Malifaux, though. Like, I almost feel that it would be better if, A, Weird had a starter set for each faction come out, you know, all in the same book or all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Have those starter sets all be balanced against each other, uh, because I just look at Explorers... And I look at Bayou and I go, I don't know if I could in good conscience tell someone to play Explorers into Bayou starter sets, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, and if you, but if you have, you know, a set of eight starter sets that are all balanced against each other in a microcosm of here is the dedicated starter scenario. Each starter set can play in the starter scenario and... 
and here you go and make that the starting thing that I think would be great. Um, I'm not sure because I mean, what was it? War Mahords had a journeyman league rule set in second Mark two, I think that had like um, starter boxes and alternate starter boxes that weren't like mm-hmm. official starter boxes, but having things like um, here's a starter set. It's um, uh, who's a versatile henchman in thunders. Um, uh, we'll go with Fuhatsu, even though I don't think he's a great pick for this. But Fuhatsu and three Ten Thunders brothers, or two Ten Thunders brothers and the Lone Swordsman. Right. And that's your Ten Thunders versatile starter set. And that's balanced against the Guild starter set of Asylum. And yeah. and, and go from there. Um, that, I think, having preset crews that are are played against each other in a, in a controlled environment to know that they're a good pair for each other would be good mm-hmm. creating whole cloth models for a starter set i'm concerned that unless they have a new and exciting multi-faction um no fact no specific faction classification we're going to have a situation like asylum and half-blood where those models are effectively not seen very much after a while yeah, I like the Bayou starter box because they're versatile, but the keywords are spread out. Each model has a different mm-hmm. keyword, and I think mm-hmm. that that was a good design point. The EXS one feels like it was not meant to be made. It feels it, like an afterthought. Yeah, it feels like they threw some stuff together um, because, like, you can't play it together, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's, you know, the hope, the hopeful prospects can't even grow into anything, can't even use the the interesting mechanic on their card. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... And, and like, it, it's so... It would be so much easier to, like, swap the hopefuls for two botanists. Mm-hmm. Like, because I do think having a setup of either henchmen and three enforcers or henchmen, enforcer, and two minions is a good way to go because it gives you three profiles to learn your, your crew with. Um... And, but then, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm... Yeah, so that that might be a thing. Maybe if, like, people are looking at, like, building demo crews, is to do just that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, put a, take a faction, put together a henchman, uh, an enforcer, and two minions. Um, roughly the same. I don't think they necessarily have to be exactly the same point cost, but around mm-hmm. the same point cost. And then, you know, give it a try just to show people, yeah. you know... And, and vary it, like, have a guild one that are ranged models, have a reser one that are melee models, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, this is what I typically do, is, like, I, I, I have done the, I run Popcorn, Cooper, and Two Moon Shinobi as a demo crew, because they have mobility, they have ranged effects, they do a little bit of conditions, a little bit of everything, I don't summon with Cooper, um, but then at the same time, my opponents will learn, oh, stealth is bad against this, so I'll shoot Cooper, and Cooper dies, and hey, look at that. Mm-hmm. I killed a thing. Um, or other demo crews I've done are like Hungering Darkness, Two Illuminated, and a Beckoner, like the, right. the obvious sort of thing. It's um, Lynch without Lynch. That, that works. Yeah. Um, okay, so stepping away from that, let's, uh, let's put on our developer hat. What mm-hmm. is one thing that you would like that is in Malifaux now that you would like to see changed? Are you ready for hot takes? Bring it on. 
All right, listeners, I apologize, but I'm going to go dulcet tone here. (laughs) Since the beginning of Malifaux, we've had a missed opportunity. Dead Man's Hand has existed essentially to be the no longer in production section of the rule set. We're past the point where people, except for Kaladi, okay, I'm going to drop the voice thing, except for Kaladi, who some reason got a third edition branded box set for Dead Man's Hand, which I still don't understand. I think they had extra. Yeah, but that's not a good reason to invest resources into making a branded box and possibly confuse people because I saw confusion. But Dead Man's Hand exists in the game. It has a purpose. That purpose is we put things in here that are not part of competitive play. It's been long enough for models that are in Dead Man's Hand who are no longer in production that we don't really need to, I would say, um, be too fussed about using Dead Man's Hand for something else. That's something else? Indicating to the player base what is going to be eroded. Currently, there is no indication to players that Weird hears their concerns about a particular model or models or interactions outside of when the errata releases and FAQs come out. If, say, twice a year, or at, you know, tie it to gaining grounds, they say, all right, in this gaining grounds, all models with command construct are dead man's hand. While we playtest the models in dead man's hand, you will know that dead man's hand is going to be changed. So you do not buy a brand new Kaladi crew and get told that you cannot play Kaladi in organized play events. Um, All right, interesting. Um, go ahead and give those um, the models that are currently Dead Man's Hand. You know, Lilith, Ramos, Nicodem, etc. Give them the vintage keyword and make a special rule that vintage models cannot be played except in a format that allows vintage models. Dead Man's Hand becomes the place where you say, "Okay, these people are in timeout." from a competitive standpoint because they're breaking the game we are working actively to fix them you can still play with them here are the rules but understand that they are going to change because they're a problem right that conveys information to the player base that weird is aware of what's going on if weird has a accelerated or different release schedule then models in dead man's hand don't stay there forever and it doesn't just become a byword for we're not making these anymore. Right. That would be my change. Because I, like I think, it. yeah. It's not a bad thing. Like it gives, I could see it. It gives us a, a sort of like a warning flag that, that, that weird understands that something is amiss, um, which we haven't mm-hmm. seen, um, you know, unless you're, unless you're in the playtest group, you, you haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, as playtesters, we can't be telling people what's changing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely a, a you know a matter of watching people like getting in a nexus, and then mm-hmm. as a playtester, you're like, oh. And and you know what? You could even say something yeah. like, "Hey, Dead Man's Hand is now a valid part of competitive play." If you wanted to, and just make it that warning sign of. Hey, Dead Man's Hand is something that's going to be changed in the next six to eight months. Right. Um, Please pay attention to this. So I guess, you know, my real answer is provide uh, not so much game mechanics, but 
provide information to the player base about upcoming changes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not what the changes are, but just so they are aware that changes are happening and that they're that Weird is aware of that changes need to happen. But using the vehicle of Dead Man's Hand because it exists and it should be used for something more than just the shelf, the proverbial shelf. I agree. I agree. All right. So uh, jumping to the other side of that question. Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> what is one thing you'd like to see change? Or not, uh, sorry. Uh, what is one thing you'd like to see in addition to of Malice? Like, in addition. That isn't in the game currently. I would like to see Malifaux add in. <clears throat> I would like to see more I'm trying to phrase this correctly. That's the gym way of saying I'm about <laughs> to say something real crazy. A little bit, a little bit. I think that what was done with Calypso and Beeb was an interesting way to implement vehicles into the game. I think vehicles are an avenue for more interesting Uh, modeling opportunities and hiring opportunities and game opportunities. I would like to see a way to implement vehicle rules that do not involve, and this feels a little more like the developer hat thing, but I'd like to see vehicle rules that don't involve Barry. It does not make sense to me that, you know, Terra can punch Beeb while he's inside Calypso and not, you know, in the void. Yeah, I agree. Um, or, you know, someone's inside the goo, they're not, like, again, they're not in the void, they're in the goo, but you can punch them through the void because space is meaningless. Um, and if you have more interesting vehicle things, now you have an option to, say, give every faction access to a vehicle model. And now you can do things like have a centerpiece model that's not a emissary, Emissaries are still valid centerpiece models, but you can have things like, you know, crossovers with the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, the other side all have their Titans, right? Is that what they're called? Titans? Yes. Um, thought so. Uh, so you can have like a miniature Titan for each side. Like we have precedent in the lore that, you know, Ramos has had a variety of multi-limbed mechanical platforms. Mm-hmm. Um we have Hannah with her giant exosuit. So like we have vehicle like effects in the game, but we don't have a, a model range for each faction. That's like, Ooh, Hey, here's an actual tank for Von Schill's crew to pilot. That's something I think would be fun to see. That's fair. I like that idea. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I don't, what I, what I don't know that I would super like to see though, is I don't know that I want to see, the base sizes get too much bigger. I think 50 mm-hmm. millimeter is a pretty, mm-hmm. is already pretty good base size for, especially for the amount of terrain that goes on Malifaux. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 80 millimeter base would be pushing it. A hundred millimeter base would be a lot. Sure. But I mean, yeah. I think most personal vehicle type models that I'm envisioning could be done with a 50 mil base. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think as long as the base size doesn't go up, there's there's no reason not to. And I agree that it needs another mechanic because it is so... And, like, you don't want to caveat it to make every berry be, like, if it was buried by this ability, it could be... Or by a keyword ability. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to separate it out that much. So turning vehicle, like a vehicle berry into its own, you know, this model cannot be affected 
by abilities that affect buried models or something, you know, like, right. It, it, like you'd almost have to create a separate classification and call it like crew, like uh, magic. The gathering has a, the rule crew for vehicles. And you can say yeah. like uh, when this model crews, this vehicle place its model on top of the card or something. Right. I, I, I don't know the, the, I, I do not know how it looks right now. I just have this nascent idea in my head. That's fair enough. All right. So last question. Mm-hmm. You're building your own faction. You mm-hmm. got a you got eight eight keywords. Who's coming along? Who, what is the Dyson faction? Okay. So this might have been claimed already, and if it has, I'm going to be completely redundant. That's fair. But we're going to go with <clears throat> in no particular order, just in faction order. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go Misaki, Riva, Parker, Nelly, Maxine. Ulix, Karis, and Sandeep. That's a pretty that's a pretty wide range. I don't think we've had a range of masters that wide. I think Cody's was kind of wide, but that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty interesting. I like I like all of those. Um, which do you think would be the standout masters in your new faction? So the so there's two things here. One is I think that. In this particular faction, it would be most interesting to see what happens when you add Maxine to half of these models, because she seems to be able to turn anything up to 11. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> thematically, this this faction is, is purely designed from a narrative perspective, because I'm sure, as you noticed, all of them are m- the models that have been influenced in some way, shape, or form by the Burning Man, yep. with the exception of Sandeep and the exclusion of Euripides. Euripides has like doubly sworn himself to his queen. You know, he's not, he's not helping the humans. Right. Sandeep has experienced dealing with a corrupting influence from a man who is made of fire and would be a great individual to help all these other people deal with the fact that a man made of fire is trying to corrupt them. Right. And possibly unite them to help seal him away. So there's a whole narrative bent there. I like that. And I also like the exclusion of Euripides because he basically went to Titania and said, fuck this, get it out of me. Mm-hmm. Unlike the exactly. other ones who kind of accepted it and went in. like. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot you can explore there with the dynamic of every character in this faction has a dissonance of we're getting power, we're being corrupted, and then you have Sandeep who's all about, right, in his title form, he's all about harmony. And you know, that, so that creates some interesting narrative styles. Mechanically, every mm-hmm. single model here deals in some way, shape, or form with shielded, injured, distracted, or burning. All yeah. of these are conditions associated with Burning Man. All of these are resources that you can build um, crew mechanics around. You can um, design things like, what happens if you take Riva and then you hire in Carlos and right. Deacon and Elijah? Like you, you can really go ham with Pyres. You can go ham with Ulix and give Ulix access to, um, you know, someone who can drop Pyres so that you can easily grow pigs turn one. Um, nice. Yeah, I uh, for the record, I don't think it's worth hiring Maris to grow piglets into war pigs turn one with Ulix two. I acknowledge I'm in the minority there. I just don't think it's worth the dirtle. I 
I can kind of agree with that. I do like the fact that Maris gets to go fly off and score schemes afterwards. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's not, but I think that that makes it less of a sting. But I, I do wish there was a better way to do it. Or that Ulix crew, Ulix himself had a more, had an easier way to apply burning than having to spend stones on a, on a trigger. Well, all he has to do is get into base contact or with pushing the people, but but Ulix doesn't really. Ulix too doesn't want to be in that base contact. He wants to be out of. He wants to be shooting his bow. He wants right. to be far away from the people that can easily smash a defense four. <laughs> I mean, you're that's fair. I'm just saying he. This is this is why Bo Peep exists because she rescues him because okay. she charges two inches away from his back end, hits him. Jumps him six inches away because he's basically leaping, and you know for minimal damage, uh, she rescues him, and then he goes pew pew. That's um, that's fair. I also think that like growing a pig on turn one or not growing a pig on turn one is okay. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's fine, especially mm-hmm. because if you grow that pig on turn one, that gives them more opportunities to just blow it up because war pigs get blown up and. <laughs> Every resource you pump into growing a war pig turn one is a resource you're conceding to not going and establishing board control on turn one. Very much. Um, You're fast enough turn two, you're going to be able to push someone through someone else and grow a pig. Um, Even on corner, I think you can make this happen. And also, like, you don't need war pigs. War pigs are great, but. Wild boars are pretty darn good for the cost. Good. They are very good. I, um, I do love a wild boar. And now you can grow swinegerst. You sure can, and they are my favorite. They are really, they are really good. So, all right. So let's get on to the third part of the uh, interview, which mm-hmm. is my favorite: the game. Um, so here's how this works: We're going to test your Malfo recognition skills. I have chosen a card. Um, it is a. I will. I would say it's a random card, but I chose it. It's not random. I just picked one I thought would. Be. Um, <laughs> it is a non-master, so go ahead. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about it being a master. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will give you. I will flip cards from the deck. You'll have four guesses. Mm-hmm. If I flip a weak card, you can choose the stat line, the wound count, or a non-unique front of card ability. Mm-hmm. If I pick, uh, if you get moderate, then it's a non-unique trigger the soulstone cost or one of its characteristics like living beast construct versatile. If mm-hmm. I get a severe, you can pick its station, its faction or a non-unique action on the back of the card. And Joker is any of the results that you wish. Mm-hmm. So do you feel pretty confident? I feel confident that I will be the first person to not get this guessing game. <laughs> Andre got it in two. So, Oh geez. Well, yeah. that's pressure. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> I was blown away. I was like, okay, okay, fine. Um, clearly, I need to make this harder. <laughs> um, the average so far has been three. Three guesses mm-hmm. to pick it. So let's see what happens. I am going to grab a nine of crows. So this is going to be a moderate. A non-unique okay. trigger. It's soulstone cost or it's char- one of its characteristics. Let's go ahead and have... Let's do its soulstone cost. Its soulstone cost is three, which narrows it down significantly. I would say so. This isn't a piglet, is it? It is not a piglet. 
I would okay. not be that easy. I would not make it that easy. <laughs> All right. Uh, guess number two. Let me shuffle it up a little bit. Um, we will go with a three of tomes. So stat line, wounds, or a non-unique front of card ability. Let's go with non-unique front of card ability. All right. It has hard to wound. So it is, a, it is a cost three with hard to wound. Hard to wound cost three. Which mm. narrows it down even more. It does. It sounds like a totem. Uh, cost three. Don't look it up. I'm not looking <laughs> it up. I'm thinking. I know. I'm just giving you crap. Um, that's fair. That's valid. I'm going to keep saying things while I fill the void. The void with my uh, my thoughts. Void. Hmm. Could it be Karina? No, she doesn't have hard to wound. That's not. A, that's not a yeah. real question. Uh, no. Guess. Okay. Um, uh, we'll let you rescind it. I appreciate that. Sorry. Eyes and ears. It is not an eyes and ears, but that is a good guess. Okay. Uh, third guess or third card is mm-hmm. severe. So it is its station, its faction, or a non-unique action on the back of the card. Let's go faction. It is Resurrectionist. So Resurrectionist, three stone model with hard wound. It's a mindless zombie. It is not a mindless zombie. No! <laughs> We're on to number four. We're on to number four. Oh, no. I'm feeling uh, the pressure. It is a black joker. So oh, no. So you can ask any question. So you can ask its stat line, its wounds, um, its uh, non-unique triggers, its char- one of its characteristics, its station... Faction, or you got the faction mm. station, non-unique mm-hmm. action. Only thing you can't ask is its name. Yep. Can I ask what rhymes with its name? <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely give it away. All right. Um, so it is a resurrectionist, three, three cost, hard to wound in resurrectionist is whatever. But it's pretty pretty redundant. Pretty yeah. But it is only a three cost. Uh huh. All right, I'm going to ask for its stat line. It has a four defense, three mm-hmm. willpower, six move, and a one size. Oh, there's like dozens of people right now screaming and at, like, at the thing. But I don't play Resurrectionist with or against them all that often. To be oh. fair, I don't think it's played very often. Is it a canine remains? It is a canine remains. Well done. Whew. it is indeed a canine remains that was Um, close that was close and i nearly said on the front of the card i nearly said hunting partner and then i realized that would really narrow it down that would you like really three cost hunting partner is like it's any of the hounds yeah guild hound corrupted hound or canine remains um Mm -hmm. And the only non-unique trigger on it was Critical Strike. Yeah, Critical Strike wouldn't give away, but mm -hmm. non-unique action, I would have to say Annoying or Snapping Jaws, and I think both of those would probably give it away. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but you got it. All right. Whew. It it feels like this game is moderately difficult, and uh, I like that. Yeah, Um, well, I think the part of the thing is that you have a really good division here of what each card provides and because you're not providing any unique you know Mm -hmm. to use a term that i see used a little too much bespoke abilities uh it really does tax one's mind and 
it also kind of points out how similar very many cards in the game are. Absolutely. And I try, I, I spent a while, I probably spent more time than I should have on this game, um, but I thought it would be really fun and it's unique. I haven't seen anything like it in any of the other podcasts. So. Oh no, it's it's a ton of fun. I, I mean, <laughs> I was playing along with the other episodes that I've been listening to, to in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to see the the question the way people approach the game absolutely i love i love seeing that and like you know and there are people that that have multiple cards just 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 like nailed in and um like literally the reason when you see this or when you when you hear the the episode with andre the reason he got it is because on his second guess he asked for a non-unique trigger or he he found out it was a minion and then Mm -hmm. he asked for a non-unique trigger and i gave it to him and he's like oh yeah there's only one minion that has that trigger oh wow i was like okay cool like i didn't know that like I, i know a lot of things i did not know that so I think it is really cool how like certain people just have that like boom yeah I know this because that was this and then other people are like you know I played that model so I can remember that if I'd never played that model I don't know that I could have remembered it mm-hmm. um, so that's that's awesome um, all right so uh, we're at about an hour and forty minutes which is probably the longest episode we've had yet not complaining i have loved every every minute of it. Uh, we did um, say that there would be a little bit of meander but we knew it would go on we knew it would go on so mm-hmm. um let's just uh pull straight into the 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 last part do you have any plugs anything going on anything interesting uh i have a couple of i have a little bit of plugs um there is still as of the time of this recording a few outstanding games for the malifaux content creators um, draft league that we were part of you and i got our game in super early and then i think like about two three weeks ago everyone just stopped coordinating games um so look forward to a few more of those there's still stuff coming out on the other coast we've just dropped as of today jeff's uh latest episode talking about how he's looking to pick up parker barrows awesome. so that'll date the episode i guess and um just want to plug the other content creators especially you know thank you very much for having me on and for you know just adding to some incredible content that we have for this game there's content for any kind of player of malifaux you know if you're a fan of the fluff you're a fan of the crunch anywhere in between we we just have a really good group of people working on this yeah um, i agree and I, I have i've loved um, going up to Captain Con, and I hate that you you had to miss the content creator, but uh, we just had a blast. Too. We had a blast. It was a little, so much fun. Next year. I will be there next year. Absolutely. I um, am going to attempt to make it. I, uh, we'll have mm-hmm. to see what my financial situation looks like. Mm-hmm. That is a long trip, and it cost me a good chunk of money to get up there. Um it- I feel you. That was my situation this year. It's uh, it's rough. Yeah. But the I do want to take a moment and just thank uh, the good folks at Weird for giving us this game. That we have the opportunity and the desire to record hours of content for folks to enjoy, to play hours and hours of games, um, 
to do all the things that we do that make our lives better because of weird. So thank you weird for all the great stuff you're doing. And, uh, one last little thing I just want to put on the record is that, um, we have a great community here in Malifaux. Um, there has been a little bit of hyperbole in the uh, discourse around the game lately, especially with the recent spoil of the Hexpos. And I just wanted everyone to remember that the sky is not falling. Um, we are just seeing the very first few uh, excerpts from what seems to be a pretty comprehensive release. I mean, we've seen Hexpos, we've seen what looked like Torakagi frogs with the uh, uh, angler, was it? Yep. Um, angler guys for Bayou. And there was one more. Dab, uh, yeah. Dabblers art for were some... a... I, I don't think they gave us really much information on them. I think they... No, we got art for them. So we know that there's something called dabblers. And, you know, so that's already like a whole bunch of different things represented i'm expecting us to see a pretty sizable whatever it is because they've clearly covered if they've covered bayou you know clearly they're going to give something to everyone else right and we've um, seen and we've seen teasers of three new keywords so far because we saw barbaros get his returned mm -hmm. uh, tag which you know we don't know anything about that there's lots of speculation it's going to um, be lilith you know it's going to be Lilith. fair fair um We've also seen um, gremlins have anglers, which I love. If we don't see Bo get a retroactive angler keyword, I, well, why are we even doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and we've now seen uh, witch hunter and what was the other keyword that was on? The uh, Chevalier? Cavalier. 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 So we've seen Cavalier as well. So that's three... I guess keywords confirmed. So it'll be interesting to see what else we get to see. I'm, I'm very excited. And we're in Absolutely. the season of that. We are in the summer of spoilers. So we are. Um, and a, as we proceed through the summer, I just want to reiterate folks. Uh, the, the game is not, the sky is not falling. Yes. Hexpos look pretty good, but I mean, I've played enough crews that have TN seven simple duels on top of making stat six attacks that do min two damage, I have, um, <clears throat> if, if stat six min two damage is your benchmark for good, then great. I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing a bunch of things and people are going to yell at me, but please, if you want to yell at me, write in the comments, this Facebook post, you know, go on the discord, <laughs> share this thing and say how, how horrible this how stupid this gym guy was. He was going off about Hexpos. You know, give us that uh that that free word of mouth so that more folks can listen and hear my, hear my being wrong. I will say that um, someone on the Bayou um, Facebook chat was talking about how they would love to have rune etched bow for mm -hmm. uh, Ulix. And I was like, dear God, no. The last thing that keyword needs is another seven stat. <laughs> Just... No, no more TNs for, for Ulix, please. <laughs> Not oh. until you give us some card draw, dang it. Uh, <laughs> what if, what if Ulix got Arcane Reservoir on Penelope? 
poor Penelope. She would be shot dead as soon as possible. Every <laughs> like most people kind of You're ignore right. her. Right. That would put a huge target on her poor little from the shadows already out of the, the uh, deployment zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So oh my God. anyway, I, I just, I say that because I don't, I love this game. I love the community, but I have had folks tell me that they get disheartened when they are coming in and they see things like, um, you know, oh, I'm coming from Warhammer and they just released a, you know, they've had recent releases that have completely shattered competitive expectations. I think it was, I saw statistics like a new army came out and it was Harlequins from the new Eldar drop had a 70% win rate out the gate. Good Lord. From in, in a competitive setting. And, and and to come to a game like Malifaux, which is small, and to see things like, oh my gosh, this thing is the most busted thing since sliced bread, and this thing over here is is horrible. Um, da ba da ba da. Like that doesn't encourage folks to actually pick up the game. So just uh, take a breath. It's going to be okay, you know. And if things are truly not okay, I'm sure Weird will change it. Like they changed Asami's card before release. Like they changed Winston's card before release. Like they changed McMorning's card post-release, but before physical release. Like, you know, Weird does listen and they do want us to enjoy ourselves. And Sometimes it just takes a while for them to get around to it, so... Right, they they're busy. You know, it's, as I they, said, they are in the episode. There's mm-hmm. like six of them. Like, there's a there's right. two guys actually developing the game, and then there's like six or eight weird employees in general. Like, they can only do so much at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, level heads prevail, and eventually things get brought to where they need to get brought. Um, mm-hmm. All right, guys. So uh, for my plugs, as always. Please check out my City of Mist RPG stream if you're into uh, RPGs at all. It's a super, super fun game. You can find it either on my Twitch, which is MXMave, or you can find it on YouTube as Foxtail Games. Uh, Check it out. Leave a comment. Um, Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you want to see any other content. Uh, We will not... I don't think we will be coming back to City of Mist for Season 2. Um, once we hit eight episodes, I think we are going to go um, maybe with Masks, which is a really fun Teen Titans-esque superhero game. Mm. So I cannot wait to play that. Um, but yeah, please uh, you know share this podcast with everybody that, uh, that you know loves Malifaux. And um, if you really want to be on the podcast, just message me and... and We'll figure out when to get it in there eventually. Um, I'd like to talk to as many cool players as I can because uh, the community is absolutely what makes this game uh, and it's what's created the longevity for this game. And so, um, you know, that's just what we want to do. We want to give back to the people that are awesome. So, uh, Jim, thank you so much for being on tonight. Thank you for having uh, me. Everybody else, we will see you later. Have a good night.